Father, we thank you for the joy and the privilege of coming to sing and be reminded once again of your mercy. To be reminded that in every season, Lord, you were good. That even in our seasons of greatest heartbreak and struggle and trial and loss and pain and grief, we will find you good. Lord, we thank you for the reminder of the gospel this morning that while we were dead in our sins, while we were enemies of you, while we had rebelled against you, your word tells us you were rich in mercy. That you being rich in mercy made us alive together with your son, Jesus Christ. And you saved us by your grace. So, Father, as we open your word together this morning, we ask that we would see more clearly a picture of who you are, that we would see your mercy, that we would see the grace and the kindness and the compassion and the love of a father who loves his children, who invites us to ask and delights in our asking. So, Lord, give us faith today. Give us courage. Give us confidence in who you are. Father, I pray for the person in this room this morning who may have the same prayer as that father from Mark 9 who wants to believe but can't. Who wants to trust but is struggling to do it. Lord, will you give them faith today? Will you meet them in your mercy? So fathers, we open this word today. Will you use it to edify your church and glorify your name? Father, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Hide it in our hearts as we submit to it now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 You can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible, Matthew chapter 7. If you're not there already, we'll be looking together this morning at verses 7 through 11. If you're here with us today for the first time, if you're our guest, our church family for about six months now has been walking verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And Lord willing, we're going to wrap this up uh, just a couple of weeks into the new year. And again this morning, Matthew chapter 7, looking at verses 7 through 11. Picking up where we left off last week. Um, R.A. Torrey was a renowned evangelist, pastor, and writer from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And he wrote one of his most famous books, The Power of Prayer, nearly 100 years ago. And in this book, he wrote words that still have extraordinary relevance for the church today. He writes, we do not live in a praying age. We live in an age of hustle and bustle, of man's efforts and man's determination, of man's confidence in himself and in his own power to achieve things. An age of human organization and human machinery and human push and human scheming and human achievement, which in the things of God means no real achievement at all. What we need is not so much some new organization, some new wheel, but the spirit of the living creature in the wheels we already possess. For the last several decades, the church, particularly here in the West, has had this sinful tendency to put our trust and our confidence in the wrong things. Uh, We have a tendency to put our confidence in the number of people who attend our services on a weekly basis. We have a tendency to put our confidence in the number and quality of the programs that we offer as a church. We have a tendency to put our confidence in our facilities and our places of worship. We have a tendency to put our confidence uh, in the production of our services and human ingenuity. 
more than any generation of Christians who have ever walked the face of the earth at any time in church history. We have more people, we have more programs, we have more places of worship, we have better production, but what we lack more than any other generation of the church is power. We lack power. And this is a tragedy because in his final words before ascending to be seated at the right hand of the Father, some of the final words that Jesus spoke here on earth was a promise to his disciples that they would receive power. This is what he said in Acts 1.8. He promised them, you will receive power. And specifically, it was power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So why is it, in spite of all of our people, in spite of all of our places of worship, in spite of all of our programs, in spite of all of our production, why is it that we are lacking in power today? Well, according to Jesus, in the few verses that we're going to look at together this morning, the reason we don't have it, church, is because we're not asking for it. Jesus promised that his church would receive power, so the only reason, then, you and I have not received this and we're not experiencing this is because we don't want it. We're content with buildings full of people. We're content with big budgets. We're content with compelling and entertaining sermons. We're content with helpful programs. We're content with slick production. But R.A. Torrey said it so well. In the eyes of God, all of our human achievements are no achievement at all. And so the invitation Jesus extends to us today is to ask for things that go beyond the limited scope of human achievement as he invites us into the fullness of all that God desires for us to have. Now, I've titled this message this morning very simply, Just Ask, because what we see in Matthew chapter 7 is that you and I can ask the Lord for everything. Everybody say everything. everything. We can ask the Lord for everything he desires for us to have, because he's a good father who delights to give us everything we need. And church, when God makes a promise to us in his word, it's because he intends to keep it. When God speaks a promise in his word, it's as good as done. So you and I can boldly come to God and ask for everything that he's promised to give us because in his goodness, he's eager to give us all that he desires for us to have. So we ask. We come to him boldly in faith and we just ask. So once again from Matthew 7, let's read together verses 7 and 8, the words of our Savior Jesus. One of his most famous sayings, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you for everyone. Everyone say everyone. Everyone. Who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open. We can ask the Lord for everything he desires for us to have because he's a good father who will give us everything we need so we can come to him and ask. And Jesus shows us first in verses seven and eight that we can ask him persistently. We ask persistently now, a few weeks back, we looked at the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, where Jesus not only showed us what to pray, Jesus taught us how to pray. And the truth that we drew out of Matthew 6 is that God is a Father who knows what we need before we even ask, and he's eager to give us what we ask for, important qualifier, when we ask for the right things. That's key for us. We cannot neglect this truth because if we do, we'll take these commands to ask and seek and knock to mean that we can ask God for whatever it is that we want to have, and he's just obligated to give it to us in return. And so we need to clarify this right at the beginning because what Jesus is promising us here in Matthew 7 is not that if you just ask really hard for a Ferrari, one day you'll get a Ferrari. He's not saying ask for a full bank account and you'll just get a full bank account. He's not just saying, hey, just ask for abs and you'll have a six pack. It would be nice if it was that easy, right? 
Now, that's not what he's saying here. God is not Aladdin's genie. That's not how this works. We need the whole counsel of Scripture here because the reality is you and I and our imperfection are prone to ask him for the wrong things. So so we're going to spend the majority of our time actually on this first point this morning because there's two really important clarifying truths that we need to see about this statement Jesus has made. The first clarifying point we need to understand is that these promises from Matthew 7 are only made to believers. These promises are made only to believers in Jesus Christ. Now, if we go down to verse 11, we see that this promise is only for those whose Father is in heaven. So the promise that if we ask and seek and knock, that we'll receive and find and have the door open, this only belongs to those who belong to Christ. Those who have not been reconciled to God the Father through faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, have absolutely no claim on the promises of Matthew 6. You know, when we take communion together every week, almost every week you'll hear me say something like this right before we partake of the cup. I will say, if you belong to Christ, all of this belongs to you. And the reason I make that statement is because it's a conditional promise. It's only if you belong to Christ. The promise that your sins have been forgiven, the promise that your debt of sin has been canceled, the promise that the record of your sin has been wiped clean is only a promise to those who belong to Jesus Christ. I want you to turn with me in your Bible here for just a moment, Luke chapter 13. Go just a couple books of the Bible over. Luke chapter 13, and I'm going to encourage you just to stay there because a few minutes later, uh, we're also going to go to Luke chapter 18. And I want us to go to Luke chapter 13 because what we see is the opposite picture. If the promises regarding asking, seeking, and knocking only apply to believers in Jesus Christ, then what is the response to unbelievers when they come to him asking, seeking, and knocking? This is the picture that Jesus gives us, Luke chapter 13. We're going to read verses 22 through 27. It says, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And this is what he said to them. He said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Those are the most haunting words we could ever hear come out of the mouth of Jesus if they were directed at us. It says, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. So again, look at the the comparison between the two. Look at the comparison between Matthew chapter 7 and what we just read here in Luke chapter 13. The promise to believers is that if we come to the Lord asking, seeking, and knocking, we will receive, we will find, and the door will be open. But here's the warning to unbelievers. is that if you reject Christ in this life, if you reject Christ in this life, and then you come to him on the day of judgment asking and knocking and seeking, You'll receive nothing, and you'll find nothing, and the door will remain shut. This promise is only for children of the Heavenly Father. So when Jesus says everyone in verse 8, it means everyone who belongs to the Father will receive when they ask, and everyone who belongs to the Father will find when they seek, and everyone who belongs to the Father will have the door open when they knock. He promises those who belong to him, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. If you belong to Christ, friend, all of that belongs to you. And that's good news. All of that belongs to you. And so that immediately should beg the question for every single person in this room today. Do you belong to Christ? 
Do you belong to Christ? Can you claim these promises from Matthew chapter 7? That this is the question all of us should be asking because the invitation from here from Jesus is that you can come to him. You can be united to him by faith and you can lay hold of this promise today. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you been united to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned your life on a back of sin? Have you turned your back on a life of sin? Have you called on the name of Jesus Christ in faith? Have you trusted that everything Jesus did for you was sufficient for your salvation? Are you walking in the righteousness that he's made available to you today? Do you belong to Christ? Do you belong to Christ? Because these promises are made only to believers. That's the first clarifying truth. But there's a second clarifying truth we need to make sure we understand about verses 7 and 8 as well. So first clarifying truth, these promises are made only to believers. And second, believers should ask according to what God has promised. Remember, God has not promised to give us everything that we want. He's promised to give us everything that we need. And more specifically, he's promised to give us everything we need according to his will. This is what we need to see about God. God is a good God. He's a good father who loves to give good things to his children, but God is also a wise father who knows what we can handle. And so so again, this is not a promise to give us everything that we want. It's a promise to give us everything that we need. And, And listen, if you have children, you understand this. It was good and right and true for Josiah Tobin to look at his two year old son this morning when he asked for a snack and said, No, breakfast. That's what you'll have. And he said it just like that, right? It goes good, but it's not because he doesn't love him. It's not because he doesn't like his son to have snack. He just knows that in that moment, this isn't what's best for you. As his father, he, he loves to give his son good things, but he also has the wisdom of knowing what he most needs. He's a good God who's eager to give us good things, but he's also a wise God who knows better than to give us and to do what we think he should do. So we don't ask according to our wants. We don't even just ask according to our needs. We ask according to what he says that we need, and we should ask according to what he says we should want. And again, in this context, what has Jesus promised? We've been studying these things for six months. So again, just go back and read the Beatitudes. If we should be asking according to his promise, then what should we be asking for? We'll go back to the Beatitudes. What did Jesus promise at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5? He promised that if you're poor in spirit, you'll, you'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. He promised that if you mourn over sin, that you would be comforted. He promised that the meek, the humble, would inherit the earth. He promised that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. So we ask him for these things. We boldly, confidently ask him for these things because he's promised us if we ask for them, he'll give them to us. What did we see in the Lord's Prayer just a few weeks ago? We pray, hallowed be your name. Why? Because what we need more than anything else is to experience the glory of God. So we pray for God's name to be known and revered among the nations. We pray for his kingdom to come. We pray for his will to be done. We pray for daily bread. We ask for forgiveness. And why do we ask for these things? Because he has already promised that he wants to give them to us. So we ask for them confidently, boldly, because he is eager for us to experience the fullness of his kingdom. When we come to God asking, seeking, and knocking for the right things, he's eager to give and reveal and open the door. Lord willing, um, in the spring, we're going to study together the book of James next. And the reason for that is because James, in many ways, is a commentary on the, of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7, he's kind of laying out for us the what. And, and James really fleshes out a little bit more the how and the why. Like, how do we actually live out the Sermon on the Mount? That's what we're going to spend the spring uh, studying as a church. And we, we looked at this verse just a few weeks ago, but I want to come back to James 4. He, he asked this question. 
He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have. Why? Because you don't ask. You do not have because you do not ask. But again, important qualifier. You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask how? Wrongly. To spend it on your passions. So this is a promise made to believers, and believers should ask for what God has promised. He is eager to give us what we ask for when we ask for the right things, and when we ask, when we seek, when we knock. He is eager to give. He's eager to reveal. He's eager to open the door. Now, in verse 7, that these three present tense imperatives, ask, seek, and knock, each one kind of builds in intensity on the other. Right, so asking is just about making the request. And then seeking is about actually making the effort to, to search something out. And then the knocking, this is becoming now more persistent. You're eager. There's some urgency here. You're hoping to receive a response on the other side. Jesus is calling us to pray with persistence. He calls us to pray with persistence. We see this echoed all throughout Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says we should pray without what? Ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Jeremiah 29.13 that the Lord says to his people Israel, if you seek me, you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with how much of your heart? With your whole heart. All of this. He encourages our persistence in prayer. Now again, uh, turn with me if you're still in Luke 13. Turn over now to Luke chapter 18. I want to read again just a parable of Jesus. And it's, it's a very powerful parable about a persistent widow. Someone who comes to a king persistently, urgently, pleading with a request. And Jesus in this parable shows us the heart of the Heavenly Father. This is Luke 18. What we see through her example is that the Lord is honored by our desire to see him act and our persistence in asking him to act. Now Luke 18, verse 1, it says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And we could about stop right there this morning, couldn't we? If you don't take away anything else from this today, take, take Luke 18, 1 pray and don't lose heart. But that's the heartbeat of what Jesus is saying here. But he goes on to tell this story. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? But look at the picture that Jesus sets up for us here. He shows this picture of this widow. She, she's, an injustice has been committed against her. And he paints this picture of this king. He says he doesn't fear God, so, so not a worshiper of the Lord, not a follower of Christ at all. He doesn't fear God. He really doesn't have any respect for fellow man. And here is this absolute nobody widow who just keeps coming to him over and over and over again, bothering him, pestering him persistently. And finally, he just caves in because he wants to, he just doesn't want to be annoyed by it anymore. And so Jesus paints this picture, not to show us what God is like, but to show us what God isn't like. He's like, listen, if this unrighteous, wicked king who doesn't fear God, who doesn't respect man, who only does this begrudgingly, if he's willing to grant this request, how much more is your perfect heavenly father eager to hear your prayers? 
And that's the picture of God that we get. And this is what I fear has happened for so many of us, and maybe your church background has informed this a little bit, is, is we think of God kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge at the beginning of A Christmas Carol. Like my, my boys were watching a cartoon version of this a couple weeks ago, and this is how many of us, I fear, think of God. He's cold, he's mean, he's cruel, He's annoyed by you. He's bothered by you. The only things that he gives you, he, he kind of does begrudgingly so that he doesn't get a reputation of being a bad dad. Like, like for some of us, like that, that's our understanding of who he is. We have no confidence in coming to him because we don't know what we're gonna receive in return. And the true believer in Jesus Christ, the true child of God who knows their heavenly father, they look at that version of God and they say with Scrooge, humbug. Like that's not him. That's absolutely not him. That's not who our father is. I love Martin Luther's reflection on this passage because I think it speaks to the heart of this so well. He says, Christ knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we dare not to pray. And that is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts, to remove our doubts, to have us go ahead confidently and boldly. Church, please hear this today. God is not annoyed by your persistence in prayer. He's honored by it. He loves it. He invites it. He's not annoyed by your persistence in prayer. He's honored by it. And it's through this persistence over time that we build trust. So, so listen today, if, if you are the parent who is persistently pleading with your heavenly father for the spiritual return of a child or for their salvation, keep persisting in prayer. You're a high school student, you're, like, you're, you're desperately confused about God's will and direction for your life, keep persisting in prayer. If you, you are the weary saint who just feels so beaten down by your sin, the guilt and the shame of your past mistakes, and you're just struggling to move on one day at a time, you desperately want to know the joy of the Lord and your salvation once again, keep persisting in prayer. And to the church that is eager to see God awaken his people, revive a community, revive a state, revive a nation, keep persisting in prayer. He's not annoyed by our persistence, he's honored by it. 1 John 5, 14 reminds us that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Those who ask, seek, and knock in persistent prayer according to his will and promises will receive what they ask, they will find what they seek, and they will have the door open when they knock. And once again, I just remind us this morning, if you belong to Christ, every single bit of that belongs to you and all of God's people said, because that's really good news. That's really good news. We can ask him persistently. Jesus goes on to clarify this more in verses nine and 10. He just asks this, he says, or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? So Jesus shows us we can ask persistently. Second, Jesus shows us that we can ask fearlessly. We can ask fearlessly. We never have to worry about what God's going to give us when we ask. We never have to worry that God's going to deceive us in his response. You know, like we, we saw last week, the illustration with the log and the speck, Jesus just provides us with a really simple and clear illustration. He, he just asks this, he says, hey parents, let me, let me talk to you parents for a second. How terrible of a parent would you be? Like who among you, if your child asked you for a piece of bread, you'd give them a stone, you'd give them a rock instead. Who would, would give their child, if they, they came asking for fish to eat, instead you gave them a poisonous snake? Luke's gospel account, Jesus actually says, who among you would give your child a scorpion if he asked for an egg? You know, there's some scorpions that whenever they ball up, it can imitate an egg. So the picture here is deception. Jesus is saying, like, who would do that? 
Who would do this to a child? Who, when a child asked for a piece of bread, would, would let them break their teeth on a rock? You know, who would do this to a child that they're expecting a plate of smoked salmon and instead they get a copperhead? Who, when a kid thinks he's getting a hard-boiled egg, who would hand him a scorpion and say, he's like, nobody would do these things. Nobody would do these things. This is who our God, this is not who our God is. Doing something like this, it wouldn't just inflict pain on the child, it would rightly bring shame to the parent. If we knew that a parent did something like this, we would be rightly concerned for that child. We would say that parent was unfit. We would make efforts to have that child removed from this parent so this harm wouldn't be caused. Jesus asked, who does these things? Who on earth would do things like this? Because our God never deals in deception. He, he never does anything under the table. He never does anything cloak and dagger. There's no deception. There's no sleight of hand. He's been upfront about what he promises to give. And we should not hesitate to ask for everything that he's promised. Now, I was in elementary school. I think it was like first or second grade. I had a friend whose dad was, was always, just one of those guys like always playing pranks and, and practical jokes on people. And, and by the way, somebody in this church tried to prank call me yesterday. An investigation is on right now. And so I think I've got some teenagers in mind right now, but that's a different story. But, but I had this, this friend whose dad uh, was, was just constantly playing jokes. And so I remember one day, it was like first or second grade, we're in the gym uh, for PE. We're having a recess. And his dad had come by the school and he's standing at the back gym doors, just kind of popped in his head to say, hey, there's 15, 20 of us running around. And from the back of the gym, he says, I've got one piece of gum, who wants it? And so naturally, man, every single one of us come running to the back door. I want the gum, I want the gum. And so in that moment, the favor of the Lord shone upon me. And, and he chose me for his last piece of gum or what I thought was his last piece of gum. Because when I went to pull this out of the little wrapper thing that he was holding, what I learned very, very quickly is that it wasn't a piece of gum. It was one of those spring-loaded traps that when you pull on it, it snaps your finger instead. And everybody's laughing at me, and my finger hurts, and I'm upset because I didn't get any gum. And you know, what I would really want that dad to know today is that every time I read about the jerk dad in Matthew 7, I think of him. <laughs> like, he's the one that comes to my mind. Like, like, he just perfectly illustrated this for me in real time. And Jesus says, that's not who your father is. He, he doesn't deal in deception. Listen, we never have to fear things like this with God. He doesn't have any tricks up his sleeves. His promises are not spring-loaded traps. And, and this is what that means practically for you and I today. It means if you come to him asking for forgiveness, he's not gonna meet you with condemnation. If you come to him asking for wisdom, he's not gonna call you foolish for not knowing the answer. That if you come to him racked with guilt and shame and you're longing for his righteousness, he's not going to add to the bill of your debt of sin. That that's not who he is. And how do we know these things? Because he's promised that if we ask for these things in his name, according to his will, we'll receive them. So we ask fearlessly. We can come to him. We can ask fearlessly. He has no tricks. He has no deception. He has been clear about what he promises, and he's eager to give us the promises as they've been made. So we ask him fearlessly. And Jesus clarifies this a bit more, verse 11. This is what he says to the crowd. He says, if you then who are evil, everyone say evil. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus shows us that we can come to the father, we can ask persistently, he shows us that we can ask fearlessly. Third, he shows us this morning that we can ask confidently. 
In verse 11, Jesus levels a bit of an indictment that isn't always easy for us to hear, but it's critically important for us to understand. And the indictment that he's made against us is that we're evil. We're evil. Both by birth and participation, all of mankind has sinned, and we have fallen short of the glory of God. R.C. Sproul, I think just very very pointedly and very very well, has, has likened sin to cosmic treason. God is a holy God. He's the king above all kings. And the just sentence for treason, as we know, is death. But in our pride, you know, we, we try to deceive ourselves. I, I think I'm a pretty good person. Or at least comparatively, we, we look at other people around us and we think that we can find somebody who's less righteous than we are. And so we'll compare ourselves to them. And so at least comparatively, by our own standards, we, we do a, a really hard overtime job of trying to convince ourselves that we're pretty good people. But according to God's standards, none of us measure up. God is, a perfect, God is perfectly holy. God is the ultimate good, which means he and he alone gets to define what is good and what is evil. And according to Jesus, apart from his saving faith, we all fall into this category of evil. And yet again, here's the picture he draws. He says, in spite of being evil, even in our sin, even in our sin, he said, you know how to give good gifts to your kids. One of my boys, uh, who, who shall remain nameless for the sake of illustration uh, this morning, he was, a couple weeks ago, uh, he was having a little bit of a difficult time getting along with his brothers. And so it's one of those days, man, from the, the time I walked in the door in the afternoon, you know, I hear him fighting and yelling upstairs, and then five minutes later, they're fighting and yelling outside, and then I'm on our back porch, I'm trying to grill dinner and get things ready, and they're, they're fighting and yelling on the trampoline, you can hear his voice across the neighborhood, you know, at this point in time, I've already warned him like a half dozen times that, that a consequence is, is coming, and so finally, uh, as they're screaming, Screaming and yelling as he's screaming and yelling outside, and, and you know, and, and neighbors are starting to look concerned. Hey, what's going on over there? I'm finally like, hey, but it's just go to your room, go sit on your bed until dinner. Like, we're done here. You've had warnings, we're, we're finished here. You just need to go upstairs, sit on your bed. And so, you know, we, we get in this place, and you've probably been there before too, where it's like, man, we're just, just trying to make dinner, and he's got everybody in a bad mood, and now everybody's grumpy. And you know what was happening five minutes later? Just five minutes after this, I got the meat thrown on the grill. You know what I'm doing? I'm sitting on our back porch and I'm looking for that little delinquent's Christmas presents on Amazon. <laughs> and as I'm sure, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, he doesn't deserve this. And, 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 but this is exactly what Jesus is, is showing them that day. Because here at the, at the end of the day, yeah, you know, even in my impatience, even in my frustration, church, even in my sin, at the end of the day, that little boy is still my little boy and I love him and I'm his dad and I want to give him good gifts. I want him to have a good Christmas. In spite of all of this, and, and so listen to the comparison then that Jesus makes. Follow what he's saying to the crowd that day. He says, listen, you're, you're sinners. You're all sinners. You're, you're all evil. And yet even in your sin, even in your evil, even you know how to give good gifts to your kids. So he says, let me ask you this. If you being evil you being sinful, if you know how to good gifts, give good gifts, how much more do you think your heavenly Father, who is sinless, is able to give you good things? If you, in your sin, if you, in your impatience, in your frustration, in your wickedness, in your sin against your kids, if even you know how to do good for them, how much more does your Father know to do good for you? This is so important for us to see. It's so important for us to see today. Church, God isn't like us. God's not evil. God doesn't sin. God's never sinned in the past. He's not going to sin today. He's never going to sin in the future. Even the best of the best of the best of parents have sinned against their children. But don't miss this this morning. God has never sinned against you, and he never will. 
He's never sinned against you and he never will. If sinful people know how to give good Christmas presents to their kids, how much more can your heavenly father do for you? Because this is the kind of father that he is. I think maybe outside of Luke 15, the parable of the forgiving father with the two sons, I think outside of Luke 15 that maybe Psalm 103 is our clearest picture in scripture of exactly who our father is and exactly what his heart is like. Psalm 103 says, the Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He is slow to anger. Everybody say slow to anger. Is everybody in this room slow to anger? Because I'm definitely not all the time. But he is. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. Listen to this. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. I'm going to read that again because not enough people said amen. Okay. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Such good news. That's such good news. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. Listen to the measurements here. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. You ever tried to make that measurement before, the heavens and the earth? As far as the east is from the west. You ever ever tried to, to, to pull out your tape measure on that one? He says, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father. Everybody say father as a father, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. This is who he is. This is who he is. If we, being sinful, know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more does our sinless heavenly father know how to give good gifts to us? You know, the last 40 days of the year, we really felt burdened that the Lord was calling us into this season of, of giving and praying and fasting. You know, we had just studied Matthew chapter 6 back in October, November, and just really felt, felt, felt impressed by the Lord to just lean into that as a church family for this season as we close out, out the year. And so we're in the season of giving and praying and fasting. That's what we're doing with the Matthew 6 challenge. And, and we framed the prayer points, the daily prayer points of the Matthew 6 challenge around the tenets of the Lord's prayer. And the reason we did that, church, is because Jesus tells us to pray these things because these are the things he's eager to to grant when we ask. He wouldn't tell us to ask these things. He wouldn't tell us to make these petitions if he didn't have plans to respond to them. And so so that's why we're doing this. And so today as we close, I just want to ask you very simply, how are you asking him? How are you asking him? Are you asking him persistently? Are you asking him fearlessly? Are you asking him confidently according to his promises, according to his will, according to what he's revealed in his word? If children can trust their sinful earthly parents, how much more can God's children trust their sinless heavenly father? He's a good father. He's a good father. He knows what we need before we ever even ask him. He delights to give us what we ask for when we ask for the right things. And when we ask for the right things in his name, according to his will, when we come to him asking, seeking, and knocking, we are promised that we will receive, that we will find, and that the door will be open to us. So our response today and our takeaway is really simple. Just ask. Just ask. According to his will, according to his promises, we can come to him persistently, fearlessly, and confidently, and we can ask. That's his invitation to us, and so that's going to be our response to him. Will you bow your heads with me as we we close our time? Father, we thank you for what you made possible for us through the death of your son, Jesus, who purchased every promise that has been made in your word. We thank you for the truth of your word that tells us 
all of your promises find their yes in him. And we rest in that truth today. Father, will you give us an accurate understanding of who you are? Help us to see that that with you there is no deception, there is no sleight of hand. Help us to see that you are not annoyed by our persistence. Your patience never runs too short with us when we're pleading with you according to your word and will. Help us to know that if we come to you asking forgiveness, that we're not going to receive condemnation. That if we come to you asking for righteousness, we are not going to find further debt of sin. That if we come to you asking for wisdom, your word promises you will give it to us generously. And so, Lord, hear the prayers of your people today. Lord, give us the courage, give us the boldness, give us the persistence to keep knocking on the door, to keep asking and seeking and knocking. Lord, I pray for the brother or sister in this room today who has been asking, who has been seeking, who has been knocking, who's still waiting. Help them to know that in every season you are good. To trust in your promises. To trust in your will. To trust in who you are.